how exciting it is to be assembled yet again today that God has blessed us with a second opportunity. We met this morning, of course, and now yet again this afternoon, and how thankful we are for the goodness, the mercy, the grace of God that permits us such an opportune time to offer our adoration and our homage and our obeisance to Him. As I stand before you tonight, I've selected a lesson as I prepared it that you might think a bit unusual and strange to, to use. We're going to talk about sleep. I'm not encouraging you to sleep now, at least for the next half hour or so, but we're going to discuss sleep. I hope that as we do that, we'll extract some lessons, though, from it that can be extremely moving, that can be very beneficial, and that I hope will be something that will prompt us to greater work in the service of the Master. Isn't it interesting how often the Bible discusses sleep? I've entitled the lesson, Sweet Sleep. Let's introduce it with some of the following thoughts, please, for the next few moments. You'll notice on this slide that inasmuch as sleep itself is a frequent topic in the Word of God, I've simply asked you to immediately notice that it's not only interesting from a biblical standpoint, scientists and others are also very much intrigued by it. Did you realize that even as far as medicine has come, there are still a number of attributes and features of sleep that the human family doesn't fully understand? There are some things that we do know. Look, for instance, at these. There is still much research about the way in which sleep benefits the body in a myriad of ways. There's also extensive consideration from psychologists and others about the benefits and the interesting characteristic of sleep. Now, tonight, that's not our main interest, admittedly. But look at how often the Bible mentions it. In fact, I have just selected a small sampling of verses, but almost immediately as I mention some of them, you will immediately remember them as well. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and following, God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. And you might easily re recollect with me in Genesis 28, verses 11 and following, there Jacob slept and he saw a ladder that reached into heaven. And as a in course in the dream that was involved in that, what a great and mighty lesson God taught him. The next one I invited you to notice in Judges 4.21, there a gentleman named Sisera fell asleep and he never woke up. You may remember J.L. killed him by driving a tent peg into his temple. There was a time when sleep wouldn't have been a good idea, but nonetheless, look at the next one. In Judges 16, verses 14 and following, remember Samson fell asleep and Delilah beguiled him as well. One by one, in Esther 6, verse 1, here's a gentleman who had a rather sleepless night. Have you ever had one? You didn't get, wasn't able to go to sleep, or at least sleep left you much before daylight came. The king on that occasion, it says, he wasn't able to sleep either. The next one is very similar in Daniel 6, 18. There King Darius also had a rather sleepless night because he was concerned about Daniel. One by one, as we mention all of those, look at the last ones. There's Jonah. There was a man who had disobeyed God, and yet he was fast asleep in the hold of a ship. Sounds like a man whose conscience wasn't properly trained, does it? What's more, in Matthew 26, 45, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus himself, knowing what was to happen in just a very few hours, and Peter, James, and John were sleeping. Oh, how much help and encouragement they could have been to the Master, and yet they were asleep. 
perhaps finally in Acts 20 verse 9, Eutychus fell asleep during Paul's sermon and of course he died as a result of falling out of the window. Paul did raise him back to life. In all of those ways and yet so many others, tonight we're going to study for the next few moments some of the things the Bible has to say about sleep. To do that though, you might notice at the bottom, these valuable lessons I've selected but four. So we will rather briefly look at each and every one of these four lessons. First of all, sleep, wouldn't it be fair to say, is a remarkable and, yea, a tremendous blessing from God. It is a way in which He has organized the human body. We need sleep, and it's a great blessing. Consider some of these thoughts. I mentioned earlier in our lesson tonight that there is a number of things known about sleep, and here's a few of them. It is now recognized scientifically that it is a tremendous rejuvenating thing when the body is able to sleep. In fact, there's even a difference between just lying down and yet awake and actually falling asleep. The latter is much more beneficial to the body. What's more, you may notice that the physical functions, the heartbeat, the breathing rate, all of them slow down during sleep. And because of all of that, look at where the body's energy can grow. It goes into the growth of cells and the other activities in which cells purge the things that are wasteful. It's amazing what goes on when you and I sleep. Look at the fourth one. It is now recognized that while you and I sleep, actually the brain is busy organizing the information that it has been faced with that day. And so in sleep, the brain is very active. Oftentimes we appreciate it in the form of dreams. Maybe finally... I would ask you to notice that for good health, it's often encouraged upon us to not neglect sleep. Surely with all those things in mind, and no doubt many more perhaps a sleep analyst could list for us, but I use those to bring us to the bottom. Because now what does God have to say about the blessing of sleep and about the opportunity to consider that which is able to be appreciated in it? We might well begin in Ecclesiastes 5, verse number 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. I'm sure in this audience we've each known of days in which you were so busy. It was a full and hectic day and you were tired when the end of that day came. Wasn't the sleep of that night in most cases rather sweet? Perhaps you fell asleep in a matter of moments when you finally did have opportunity to lie down as the shades of evening gathered about you. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Perhaps that can be echoed when we, I, you and I recall the scene of Mark 4.38. Jesus, the Son of God, as He Himself was on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, a storm arose, and the disciples were greatly perturbed and anxious. They went and woke up the Master. You may remember the rather excited question they ask him, Carest thou not that we perish? They were afraid of death, and yet Jesus was asleep. Doesn't it remind us that the sleep of a laboring man is sweet? Surely the next thought goes right along with it. That very idea helps us appreciate then that the matter of work and the blessedness of sleep that follows, they seemingly go hand in hand. No wonder these verses I would invite you to remember. In Genesis 2.15, there prior to the sin, 
we remember that Adam and Eve were given chores, work to do by the God of heaven. It was for their benefit. They were to keep the garden. Isn't it also true that in Exodus 20, verse number 9, one more time, there in the heart of the Ten Commandments, God one more time encouraged them to recognize that even in light of the Sabbath, there were six days to work. Works good for you and me. As we'll see shortly later in the lesson, idleness taken too far is not healthy. And you and I know that often sleep will not easily come in those cases either. Maybe in fairness, one last thought, 1 Thessalonians 4.11, reminding us there about the value and integrity and the characteristic nature that goes with proper work, valuable work. The first lesson so far we've learned then as it relates to this takes us back to the lesson text that Brother Vestal read just a moment ago. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 24. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. May I say, though, that in light of sweet sleep following work, there's even a sweeter sleep that follows being right with God. Have you ever felt yourself with an animated conscience because of something that you did or said or perhaps some circumstance in which you found yourself and sleep didn't come very easily? It may not have come all night long. You notice one more time he said, Thou shalt not be afraid. Isn't it a tremendous blessing to pillow your head or mine in the evening and do so with a confidence that all is well with your soul? and that all is in right standing with God, the sleep can be so sweet. Not only do we find Jesus, of course, in a sweet sleep there in Mark 4.38, you and I remember that, of course, other situations in the Word of God present matters of sleep to us as well. Let's look at the second lesson. Not only might we appreciate this one, but look at how it naturally leads to the following. It is entirely possible for this matter of sleep, though a great blessing it is, to be abused. Think about that with me for a moment. Is it possible to abuse sleep, to do too much of it? Let's study a little bit about that for the next moment or two. You'll notice at the top, even though sleep is a great blessing from God, think about those situations in which an individual pursues it too much. Sleeps too much, in fact, might we say, puts him or herself in a category of slothfulness, laziness. The inefficiency and the incapacity that goes with sleeping when you need to be doing something. There's work to be done, there are tasks to be completed, and yet failing to appreciate the magnitude of the moment you're asleep. That kind of thought the Bible addresses in ways like this. In Proverbs 19, verse 15, slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. Note what slothfulness did. Here was a man who, rather than doing the work that he knew needed to be done and that should have been done, he was asleep. He was asleep. In addition to that text of Proverbs 19, consider Proverbs 6, verse 4. And I would invite you to carefully note this one because some have levied it as a Bible contradiction when it is no such thing. We studied a moment ago how that the sleep of a laboring man is sweet and hence it's a great blessing, of course, from the Almighty God of heaven. But yet, look at this verse. It says, Give not thine eyes to sleep. 
So there we're told not to sleep. Now, which is it? Are we to sleep or are we not? And you and I so easily appreciate there's a great difference in context. The case of Proverbs 6 verse 4 has to do with this person who in slothfulness and in laziness is failing to do what the matter of the moment necessitates. God says on that occasion you don't need to be sleeping. There's work you need to be doing. That verse goes on to say, Give not thine eyelids to slumber. Isn't it true that there are certain occasions which it's not good for us to sleep? There's more important matters at hand. I would ask you to also consider that in light of that, that same kind of teaching is exemplified in these additional ways. Turn over a few chapters to Proverbs 20 verse 13. Did you realize that there are certain things in the Bible that we are not to love? Oh, it's true. There are many things we do love like God and Christ and the Word. But note this. It says, love not sleep. Now, earlier we learned that sleep's a great blessing from God, and yet here we're told not to love it. We are not to pursue this sleep then beyond the bounds of what's proper, beyond the bounds of what our life in this flesh would, of course, recognize to be the proper thing. Love, not sleep. Have you known of someone, maybe a neighbor, a friend, maybe even some particular time in your life when... By your own choice, you chose to pursue sleep rather than work that needed to be done, and later you had a price to pay. A great sense of urgency arose when the work wasn't done, and yet you brought it on yourself because you slept when you shouldn't have been. Maybe we've all been there at one time or another. You'll notice in light of that too, in Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 33, there's a somewhat lengthier reading but I would like us to consider it. Again, Proverbs chapter 24. Listen to what the statement herein is made in the inspired text of the Holy Word of God. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of a man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. There our inspired writer says, As I was walking by one day, I passed by a vineyard, and it was all grown up with thorns and nettles, and what's more, the wall was broken down. What was the cause of it? Was the man sick? Was the man incapacitated? Was the man beyond his control put in a position he was unable to tend to his vineyard? No. Verse number 33 says, He had a little sleep, a little slumbering. The man maybe was on the porch swing when he should have been tending to his vineyard. Sleep had caused him the loss of the vineyard. You and I realize then that one can abuse sleep, can't you? Maybe in light of that, you'll notice that the text tells us that this issue, loving sleep too much, will bring poverty. It will bring a sense of want and it'll bring wastefulness. So far, then, you and I can make an interesting conclusion. There is a wonderful time to enjoy and appreciate sleep, but there's also a time when we shouldn't be sleeping. That judgment, of course, is left for you and me to thoroughly understand. 
as you can well see at the bottom, there are a few other times when the matter of sleep was questioned. We've already noted Proverbs 6 verse 4. What about that scene in Matthew 26, 45? Jesus, in fact, speaking again to Peter, James, and John there in the Garden of Gethsemane, He asked them, couldn't you stay awake for an hour? The Lord would so much, no doubt, have wanted their encouragement to help Him through that difficult and challenging set of times. And they chose to sleep instead. Finally, you might note in Luke twenty-two forty-six. One more time there, again, prior to our Master's crucifixion, the question concerning sleep is raised. Surely you and I know then that the church assembly would not be an appropriate time for sleeping. There's far more significant things to do. We have a God to worship, and hence we'll save sleep for when we get home or before we come. Many of us enjoy a Sunday afternoon nap on occasion, and that's a powerful and lovely thing that allows us, of course, to understand being awake at the time of our Bible studies and our worship services. Our second lesson then of the night, it's possible to abuse sleep. What about lesson three? As the Bible discusses sleep, it also discusses it like this. Sleep is used in a wonderful and very compelling way to help us appreciate something about slumber spiritually. Let's develop that thought in the following way. Isn't it true that a person who is asleep is unaware of what's taking place around him or her? You and I have each known that. Have you ever had someone to play a prank on you? I've seen that happen in classrooms more than once. A student falls asleep, maybe after a long night of study, and the compatriots of the student will do something to him or her. May I say, that student's unaware while asleep of what's going on around him. Have you ever been startled awake and suddenly you realize that you were asleep so long that the entire environment and venue changed? It can happen, can it? From time to time, even on the news, we see tragic stories of where a person fell asleep. The house caught on fire. The person lost his life. He was unaware of the danger that surrounded him. He was wholly apparently unaware of the tragedy and catastrophe that could easily have come, and it did. Let's make a spiritual parallel to that. Notice it in the middle part of the slide. With a person that's asleep, being unaware of what's going on around them, what if a person is spiritually asleep? That is to say, you don't understand or appreciate the enormity and the urgency of the moments going on around you. Maybe your soul is in critical danger and you don't seemingly even appreciate it. Maybe the Word of God testifies directly and immediately of the eternal danger facing your soul and yet you live as though nothing is wrong. You're living in a state of spiritual slumber. You're living in a state of spiritual sleep. The Bible, in fact, calls it that. As we come to the bottom of that slide, let's look at several New Testament passages, all of which testify immediately to this thought. In Romans chapter 13, the church in Rome was given this rather direct command. I would invite you to consider it, especially in light of the strength of the words. Romans chapter 13 verses 11 and following. I'd like to begin actually in verse number 11. 
and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Did you note the comparison the inspired apostle used? Here was a circumstance. There were individuals in Rome and they were living in darkness. Verse number 13, or rather verses 12 and 13. They were making poor choices to follow pathways, matters of life and behavior, that were not in consistency with the Word of God, not in fact pleasing to God. What was the comparison that Paul made and how did he state it? He said, it's time to wake out of sleep, people. Now notice, it's not that they were physically asleep, they were spiritually asleep. Their senses were dull to the things going on around them. You'll notice, in fact, in verse 12, he even says, The night is far spent, the day's at hand. It's time to be spiritually alert. It's time to be spiritually active. Cast off those old works of darkness, those things that were sinful, inappropriate, and let's wake up. Do you suppose those words are appropriate for some today? Is it possible for a person to be in spiritual sleep? Surely it is. Look again at the wording of verse number 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Now he had just said the night's far spent, the day's at hand. So if we are going to be in the daytime, if we're going to be awake, let's walk honestly. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. The comparison that Paul draws is spiritual sleep is like fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. One is unaware spiritually of the dangers and the urgency of that which takes place. The injunction still stands. Wake up. It's time to not be spiritually asleep. That isn't the only time that kind of warning is found. In Ephesians chapter 5, this one's a bit briefer, but just as potent. In verse number 14 of Ephesians chapter 5, the same writer, the apostle Paul, put it like this. Wherefore he saith, Awake then, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Awake thou that sleepest. There were people in Ephesus that were spiritually asleep. They needed to be busy and active and motivated with obedience to serve the God of heaven, and they were asleep spiritually. Do you and I sometimes find ourselves going through the motions of Christianity? We're sure to be at the services on Wednesdays and Sundays, but we simply are going through the motions. May I say, if that's true, we're spiritually asleep. The sadness that comes with that, note again the language... Both of these texts, Romans 13 and now the text in Ephesians 5, are stated as commandments. Spiritually, we don't need to be asleep. That same verse ends by saying, And Christ shall give thee light. Should we anticipate the greatest blessings from the Master, Jesus our Lord, if we're spiritually asleep? We understand just from a simple consideration, surely the answer to be no. Perhaps one final thing. Our salvation is at stake. We saw that there in Romans 13, didn't we? He said, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. 
you and I as Christians, we have journeyed somewhat along the pathway of Christianity. We're closer now to the end of the race than we were when we started. Now is not the time to be spiritually asleep. It's the time, in fact, to use the words of rather Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing you're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with race, the, run with patience the race that is set before us. It's time to run the race. It's not time to sleep. Maybe in light of that, we close this by noting the Lord's admonition. In Matthew 25, 13, He said for us to watch. Now question, if you're asleep, how much watching can you do? If you're asleep, how much watchfulness and alertness do you have? We know the answer is none. In the military, when a man is put on sentry duty, the last thing he's expected to do is sleep. You are watching for the enemy. You are watching that over which you're given responsibility to watch. Jesus told you and me, didn't he, to watch. Maybe in light of that, we've seen here sleep is used to, in fact, challenge us to not spiritually do it. But that brings us to a final lesson, number four. Because sleep is also used in yet another way in the Word of God. And this is probably one that you've already considered was going to happen. And I saved it to last. It is the one that you and I know that sleep is used as a comparison, in fact, a description for death on several occasions in the Word of God. I would invite you to notice... How often do we read in the Old Testament about a gentleman or an individual who would sleep with his fathers? Now, it wasn't talking about physical sleep in the sense of going to bed, taking a nap. In all those instances, it was a reference to his death. Abraham was told, you will sleep with your fathers in a good old age. Genesis 25, verses 8 and following. Moses was told and Aaron was told the same. David was even told he would sleep with his fathers. One by one, as you think about all of them, we notice in, De in Deuteronomy 31, 16, God expressly told Moses there he, in fact, would sleep with his fathers. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, again, written with respect to David. I would point out to you that, in fact, it, there's over 55 occurrences in the Old Testament in which sleep is used as a description for death. What lesson might you and I take out of that? What might be some very useful and beneficial things that can help us in our walk with Jesus? Maybe the next one. You and I would notice that even our Lord, as well as Daniel, made usage of that comparison. In the closing chapter of Daniel, Daniel 12, verse number 2, to sleep in the heart of the earth. That's talking about a body that's been buried and yet it was described as being asleep. Didn't Jesus say in John chapter 11 on that occasion when He ultimately raised Lazarus to death? When the chapter began, Jesus said, He sleepeth. Those nearby who heard what the Master said, they said, Lord, if He sleepeth, He's doing well. You see, they knew the man was dead. And they were somewhat challenging Jesus because Jesus called it sleeping. And of course, later Jesus identified and confirmed, Lazarus is dead. Isn't it true then that Jesus used the word sleep as a way of describing the fact Lazarus had died? 
this comparison, this, this way of thinking about sleep in relation to death brings us to the bottom of that slide. The consideration that's therein made takes us perhaps to the closing verse of James chapter 2, James 2 verse 26. And even though he was describing faith and its relation to works, he's quickly pointed out that the body without the spirit is dead. You and I know well then that we as spirit beings are such that when the spirit departs the body, what's left behind, namely the body, is dead. And we bury it. We place it back into the heart of the earth so it can return to the dust out of which it was made. That's what death is. And yet, Jesus, as well as other Bible writers, referred to that like a sleep. I wonder what else you and I might draw from it. You and I know that that idea can be pushed too far. Maybe you've heard someone throughout the years make reference to soul sleeping. That an individual who, though the person has died, and so the body, of course, looks like it's asleep. It's lying there motionless. May we never, ever think the spirit's asleep. That spirit departed the body, and it's now in a realm known as the Hadean realm, and it is ever much alive. The rich man and Lazarus tell us that, right? Lazarus, in fact, we appreciate so easily, found himself in Abraham's bosom, a place of comfort and rejoicing. On the other hand, the rich man found himself in torment. He was aware and cognizant of where he was and what he was suffering. The soul, the spirit doesn't sleep in that regard. Surely that leads us to notice the following. In Revelation 6 verse 9, those blessed souls beneath the altar, they were crying out, How long, O Lord, until the cause for which we died will be vindicated? Notice they weren't asleep. Finally, in 2 Peter 2 verse number 9, we notice there a reference to the circumstances surrounding the events of the life of Lot. One by one, we appreciate the Spirit doesn't sleep after death. But tell me about the following as we consider the resurrection. You and I know that after a period of sleep, we wake up. The morning comes or maybe at some point during the night we wake up. So ultimately it's going to be. Even though you and I may have passed on and death has come our way, the Bible promises us there's coming a moment. There's coming a time when all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. There's coming a time that everybody's going to wake up, and they're going to stand before the God of heaven in judgment. And they're going to, in fact, give accounting for the good as well as the evil if it hasn't been repented of and been forgiven. That last thought on that slide brings us to appreciate the sweetness of 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 58. When that moment comes, in the twinkling of an eye, those left alive will be changed, and we realize we'll be given this body having put, been put on immortality. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. And so you and I notice how sleep is used there and we can appreciate the need for watchfulness in this life and the understanding that here and thereafter that great resurrection moment when all in the graves will wake up.
Surely in light of all these things, these four lessons bring us to a few points of conclusion. A biblical study of sleep appears to me a very interesting thing. You and I know God has fashioned His human body in such a way that sleep's a good thing. And we began our lesson by noting the blessing that comes along with sleep. But following that, we quickly noted it's possible to abuse it by sleeping beyond what one would consider proper and right, neglecting work that needs to be done or duties that need to be pursued. Thirdly, we appreciated the comparison the Bible makes on occasion to spiritual sleep and how dangerous it is. Finally, we notice that even in regard to death, the appreciation that in that sense, the comparison almost comes full circle. Tonight, what about you and me? Are you able to lie down tonight and appreciate that the sleep of a laboring man is sweet? Or are you such that your sleep is somewhat troubled because your conscience is agitated? You're perhaps bothered because things aren't well with you and God. Are you one who is known for spiritual slumber? Do you neglect or ignore the vital matters of faithfulness that could be pursued? If so, please wake up. May each of us remain alert and valiantly so. Finally, as we think about our own demise and death, we know there's a great time of resurrection coming when we shall arise. That body will come out of the grave having been infused with the spirit from the Hadean realm and what a tremendous judgment it'll be. Are you ready for it? Don't be spiritually asleep. Be spiritually awake, spiritually alive. Tonight, if there's anyone in the audience for which you need to make things right in a public way between you and God, this is the ideal time. The plan of salvation for an alien sinner is this. You must believe in Jesus, John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13, 5. Confess the name of Jesus, Matthew 10, 32 and following. And finally, be baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. If we could be of assistance in that way, what a celebration it would be, not only here but even in heaven. But if you have been a faithful child of God, but of late, such is not true anymore. You have drifted into spiritual sleep. Wake up. The time is urgent. In fact, the time is of the greatest urgency. If tonight we could assist in making, helping you make things right with God, you must confess those sins if they're known publicly. Repent of them, of course, to God. Invite us to pray to God for you. We'd be happy to do that. And you could leave this building tonight able to sleep peacefully this evening. If we could be of assistance to anyone in any of these ways, why not, in fact, use this moment to come while together we stand and while we sing?